Hey everyone, this is Matt, your co-host, creative director at Hill City, and your best friend. I just wanted to uh, chime in real quick to let you all know that this episode um, was recorded before the world moved on. Um, So there will be some stuff that you hear at the beginning specifically and maybe throughout that if you think it's live would think, man, they're doing a really good job of ignoring uh, this coronavirus thing. That is not true. This was recorded right after Super Bowl Sunday, but we're super excited about the episode. So without further ado, off we go. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to encourage diversity in thought without creating division in community, and where we want you to remember how to think instead of tell you what you should think. My name's Matt Fisher, and I'm the creative director here at Hill City, where we record this in every episode of the podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, my friend, <laughs> Mr. John Wagler. Yes, Wags, <laughs> what's going on, man? Ah. Uh, Super Bowl was yesterday. That's when we're recording this. The what now? Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. <Just kidding>. <laughs> not a, I'm not. I've worked really hard in recent years to not be that guy. It's yeah. just like, ooh, sports ball. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, I don't like sports. It's, yeah, it's fine. I hear you. <laughs> but I enjoy a good Super Bowl party. Yeah. Good I game. Do. We and ordered wings and just ate them. <laughs> <Just> the- <laughs> <laughs> Me and my family just ate 30 wings with so, no football. <laughs> it was fun. Good yeah. times. Good yeah. game. Um, Groundhog. Saw a shadow. Didn't see a shadow. <laughs> no, no. We're, we're like trying. Whatever one is earlier spring. We are doing everything in our power to not talk about real news right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what's the, light news? <laughs> I know. I don't want to go down that road. I mean, I would, would go down that road. I mean, that's road. kind of the whole point of the podcast. Uh, very cool. And we are super excited to have a guest with us today. Um, today, we are going to be talking with Wes Hill. Um, you may know him as Wesley Hill under his author name, his full name. Uh, and he is the author of Washington Waiting um, and Spiritual Friendship, which is the topic we'll be talking about today. Mr. Wesley Hill, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for joining us via, like, should we plug here for a Zoom sponsorship? Because we never use Skype. <laughs> we keep saying that we're going to just start using sponsors that aren't our sponsors to just see if eventually someday they will. Yeah, it's like, yeah, put, exactly. it's like yeah. putting a dollar in your guitar case <laughs> when you start to busk so that other people will put a dollar in. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, Wes, where are you joining us from? Give people a little background on sort of where you're at and, and, um, and just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thanks again for having me. It's it's great to be talking with you guys. Um, so I am here in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, which is just a little bit outside of Pittsburgh. Um, there's a seminary here called Trinity School for Ministry that was founded in the 1970s. And I have been a professor here. I teach uh, biblical studies. Um, it's hard for me to believe I'm in my eighth year here. Um, but I really, I love what I do. I get to teach the Bible to people who are preparing for all different sorts of ministries and callings. And, um, you know, some of them go into full-time Christian work into ordained ministry and others uh, go into, you know, other fields and, and areas. And so it's just, it's fun to try to excite people about the Bible and, and, and lead people deeper into those waters. So 
so yeah, that's 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 me and my day job. That's awesome. Um, and is there a certain? This is just out of curiosity. I can't remember. Is Trinity associated with a certain like denomination or or sort of like academic background? Yeah, so we're in the Anglican tradition. The, okay. the, the tagline is an evangelical seminary in the Anglican tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we have we have Episcopalians and and folks who are who are in the Anglican Church in North America, and but we also have um, we host a Lutheran seminary on our campus, uh, the North American Lutheran Seminary. So we have we have other traditions here too. Um, it's it's pretty interdenominational these days, which is which is great. Mm-hmm. It, it really kind of enriches things. Ah uh, yes, the smart church. Yes, I feel like we read <laughs> we read like three books as a staff and noticed that all three of them were Anglican. Yeah, <laughs> Anglican <funny>. authors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something there must be something. Yeah, like what's going on over there? <laughs> Why are buddy over there so smart? <laughs> oh man. Um. So we really want to talk to you today about one um of your works particularly and and some of your thoughts are around it and sort of how it works in your life and in the life of others that um you've gotten involved in and that's this idea of spiritual friendship mm-hmm. um so that's the uh, the title of one of your books and um it's a book uh that i have not yet gotten a chance to read um john has read it as well i read the blog i've, I've been reading your blog oh, called okay. spiritual friendship for a long that's been a one round how long i think that i think we started that blog uh ron belgow and i my, my co-blogger i think we started it in 2012 okay yeah i think i've been reading it since about 2014 or 15. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Well, thanks. But, yeah. So you've read yeah. more than a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, just Wes, kind of fill us in on what is the what's the elevator pitch for this idea of spiritual friendship, um, and just kind of I don't know expound on how does it work in your life? How have you seen it work in other people's lives? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe the easiest way for me to talk about it would be just to kind of tell how I how I came to want to write it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I I wrote it very much out of a uh, a sense of personal kind of longing and and hope. Um, uh, at the time that I had the idea for the book, I was living in the UK uh, for for grad school, and I had just a really good group of friends, like a really tight knit group of friends, and. Um, uh, it was mostly other uh, graduate students who had who had traveled from other parts of the world. So we kind of understood each other. We understood what it's like to move to this new place and try to forge relationships. And um, and I'm I'm single uh, by by choice by by conviction. Um, I I don't expect to ever be married. And so I have for a long time felt just kind of a a deep hunger and desire to to go deeper in friendship. Um, you know, I, I think growing up in a, in a Christian family, I had kind of bought into this uh, myth or, or even idolatry, you could say, of thinking that like marriage is, is where intimacy is to be found. Like that's the main place to find love and, and belonging and meaning in life. And so when it, when it, became, when it became clear to me that I wasn't probably going to get married myself, I thought, oh boy, so what do I do about, about intimacy? Like what do I do with, with loneliness and those things? So so, um, yeah, I just, I, I really kind of dove in deep with this group of friends and, and I became, um, kind of anxious when I realized, Hey, this is not going to last forever. You know, I'm going to have to move, uh, back to the States. And, uh, so I moved back to, to take the job where I am now. So I just really started praying, you know, what does it look like to pursue friendship, to, to cultivate it, to, um, to find it, you know, it's not like we have a script exactly for it in the way we think about the dating script, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the book, the book really kind of grew out of those kind of wrestlings. And, um, 
I also just have a, a particular burden for uh, people who, for whatever reason, are, are kind of uh, lonely in Christian communities. Um, you know, the subtitle of that book for me is, is Finding Love in the Church as a Celibate Gay Christian. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think it's only celibate and gay Christians who are hungry for friendship. Uh, you know, the book, I want the book to speak to a lot of different kind of people. But, you know, there, there are a lot of folks who show up at church and they say, you know, I love being here, but I just, I don't know how to connect. I don't know how to go deeper with people. And so I, I really wrote the book out of those kind of uh, stirrings and, and longings. So, um, and, and like you gave a great example of when you were in the UK and you had this tight knit community, what is seeking after what you've just described looked like for you now in this phase of life? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the big question, right? Cause like when you're, when you're in grad school or you're in, you know, college or high school, you have like a ready-made mm. like network of people to, to, to become friends with. It doesn't take a lot of effort. Um, I read one time uh, sociologists say that the the kind of glue for friendship is regular unplanned interactions, hmm. regular interactions and unplanned interactions. And and you you have that in spades, you know, when you're living in a dorm or you're seeing each other, you know, in the hallways, uh, it's just, it's easy to find friendship. And I think, you know, for me now I'm almost 40 and uh, it's, it's harder, right. To, to have regular unplanned interactions with people. Like most of my uh, dinners with friends are, are highly scheduled, mm. you know, like we put it in the calendar and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, so, so I think, I think, yeah, I, 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 I'm wondering more and more now, like, what does it look like to um, cultivate friendship when you're out of a network like that, you know, when you're not in a, in a school setting or a, um, so um yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's, it's a lot of it is looking for ways to connect with people in a, in a more intimate setting, like a home. So I've, I've developed, uh, like cooking has become a hobby for me. And, and I find if I can get people in my home and like, we can sit down together and share a meal and, uh, you know, there's, there's not the pressure to run off to the next thing. Um, that, that, that kind of thing, I think creates a context where we can get to know each other better and, and maybe, you know, yeah, a lot of my friendships have developed out of that kind of thing, you know, just making making myself available for friendship, you're looking for ways to open my home and my life um, to friendship. And um, I think those are often the seed, the seeds of it. I, you know, I agree with you, like how much of an idol marriage has become. And, mm. and I don't even know if it's become that or if it's always been that way. You can, might be able to speak a little bit more into that. But were there things that anyone did? for you on the friendship side, maybe a married couple or family or something that helped kind of broaden your perspective on friendship or helped kind of, you know, you, you made mention just about the commitment to be single and, and everything I feel yeah. like that's where you're, and the thought for most people like, Oh my gosh, why would I ever do that? You know, like kind of yeah. feel yeah. obviously, but what do you think for you has been maybe built in there through some friendships that you've had, maybe even some from married people or um, yeah, we'll, we'll just start there. Cause I have another question off of that, but are there some yeah. things there? Yeah. You know, I, I think I've been really lucky in life to meet um, a handful of married couples who don't view their marriages as these kind of like self-contained entities that, that they can't open up and, and welcome other people, you know, into their lives. Um, so like right after college, I, I moved up to Minnesota to start a church internship and, and this married couple and, and their family opened their home and said, hey, why don't you live in our basement? And, you know, I shared dinner with them regularly. 
um, there was another couple at that same church that said, Hey, every Sunday after church, you're welcome to just come and stay for the afternoon. Like we'll have lunch together. We'll play games. You know, we'll, we'll have coffee. We'll, we'll chat. Um, and you know, I grew up, I grew up with wonderful godly parents, but we were a pretty private sort of family. Like we didn't do a lot of hospitality. And so I think for me to see another model, like the way, the way that these couples, they, in a sense, I think they viewed their marriages as like springboards for hospitality. Like their, their love was something that they wanted to share, you know, with, with other people. And their um, it was really cool to see how their kids, um, you know, would complain if there weren't guests around the table. <laughs> like they were so, they were so used to having friends over and people in their, in their intimate life that it just was normal for them. You know, it was, yeah. that was, that was, that was what they expected. Um, so I think for me as a single person to see, you know, I, I may not be in a marriage myself, but that doesn't mean that I can't, uh, befriend married people. Mm. Um, uh, I, I think a lot of singles, we kind of wonder like, do married people want to be friends with us or is it okay for us to like, you know, reach out and just to have some of those barriers broken down that, that in, in the body of Christ, it's perfectly natural and normal for people of different, um, callings, you know, different stages in life, different, um, ways of living to, to relate to one another. That's one of the things I talk about in the book is that, you know, with the way Christ befriended people shows us that we can cross some of the lines of division that might, you know, keep us apart from each other. Christ practiced a, a, a very countercultural yeah. uh, form of friendship, you know, reach, reaching across boundaries that people thought he shouldn't have reached across, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, just for me, seeing, seeing those couples wanting me in their life, you know, wanting me to become friends with their kids, you know, wanting to have me around their table was, was huge for me, I think. Yeah. It is truly amazing. And we talk about a lot about this for our own church, how the communal aspect continues to be harder and harder to get Christians to buy into together, you know, because mm-hmm. and, and we see it like in you see them see people getting community, whether that's in a exercise group like CrossFit mm-hmm. or something sure. like that, or, sure. you know, with. Um, you know, I got a bunch of friends who are all in on travel sports and they've got a community there and, and yeah. they're, they're so you see that there there are options to get it or involved, but within the church, it's becoming harder and harder to like figure out. And we're we're trying a bunch of things as a church and, and I would say that we do a pretty good job um as a community and it's mm-hmm. growing and it's like we are trending in the right direction. Um, yeah. But it really is hard. Like it's yeah. it's hard for people to to really commit to opening up their homes, as you're talking about. Right. And right. Um, and right. I've and I've found and, and I don't. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. And um, e- there is like a, even a difference between men and women with this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, mm-hmm. that it it really does feel like I I don't know. And again, maybe it's always been this way. I I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. 43, and maybe just. I'm just recognizing it yeah, now more, yeah. but it, it has felt like it is a little that women do it a little bit better and mm. a little more mm. naturally within the church world and that men in church have a harder time. Now I was a, I was a college athlete and yeah. so I, I've only known teams. And so for me, the idea of men being in friendships has always been easy. I know Matt's been in bands, yeah. you know? And yeah. so, like yeah. Matt's had that too so easy and so the idea of it 
even in church, I've always felt like this is the way it should be. Like mm-hmm. dudes should yeah. be friends. But it, it sure I do feel like there's a gap there where men don't engage in church on that level um naturally. Do you yeah. do you see that at all or have perspective on that? Yeah, I think I think I think I have seen that. And I wonder if part of it is um you know, for, for a whole variety of reasons, like our culture has given women a language to talk about like their, their, uh, emotional lives and, and longings and, and desire for connectedness. And I think, I think we, I think you're right. There are a lot of spaces in our culture where male intimacy does exist. You know, I think, I think teams are a good example, but, but we're a lot more, reluctant to name that and talk about it and give voice to that maybe yeah. somehow. Um, one of the books I came across when I was writing my book on friendship was this um, book called Deep Secrets uh, by Niobe Way, who is a, mm. a sociologist. And she um, she did like a longitudinal study of um, uh, non-white males uh, in their adolescence. So from like, you know, age 11 through the end of high school. And she said she was kind of taken off guard. She was surprised by how like at 12, 13, they were, they were really verbalizing their, their desire for like male closeness. They, they talked about their, their best friends that they would spend hours on the phone with, and they had no shame about that. And she said, by the time those same kids got to be, you know, late high school, all that had gone. And, and they were like very reluctant to be perceived as gay. You know, it was, it was like wow. something shifted. And, um, you know, one, one of her, one of her arguments in the book is that it's not that the, the, it's not that the need or the desire for that went away. It's still there, but, but somehow they had, they had gotten the idea from the wider culture that it wasn't okay to talk about it anymore. You know, mm-hmm. th- there wasn't an acceptable way to, to verbalize that. So I wonder if, I wonder if part of our challenge, like as Christians, is to like reassure men, maybe in particular, that it's okay to name this. It's okay to to say you you want this. You know, to uh, that may not that may not be natural, but but you know, to to be able to say I'm a man, and I want to have intimacy with other men. You know, I want to I want to I want to know some men deeply and have a deep friendship. You know, it's just, that's hard to talk about. Yeah. We, we don't have a vocabulary for that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's very true. So. Um... You are in a very, like some of the things that you've talked about of how you found that spiritual friendship, um, as, as you've kind of said, stem from your story and your story is, is a fairly specific one, right? You're a gay Christian, um, who's who's committed to celibacy. And so, um, I think that that sort of like opens up certain opportunities for you specifically where in the sort of wake of, um, Oh, what's the word that we use about um, like the Josh Harris stuff and the kiss dating goodbye the deconstruction stuff? Yeah, right. like the of the purity culture. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, in the yeah. wake of like yeah. purity culture and and this idea of like being protective of your marriage and like not riding in yeah. cars with boys and stuff like that. Right, um, right. You, for you to like enter into a um, se- uh, into a traditional married couple's intimate life is like maybe yeah. non-threatening, right? Because you are of a different mm. sexuality. Whereas yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the things that um, becomes a fear for, because yeah. I think you're right. Like I know for my wife and I having um, just the open door policy for our single yeah. friends has 
like greatly increased intimacy for them. But there's yeah. also like a version of that story where it's like, well, you guys have like this single 22 year old guy hanging out at your house a lot. Doesn't that make you nervous? Or there's this like good looking 26 mm. year old girl, you know, sure. hanging out at your yeah. house all the time. Doesn't yeah. that make you nervous? Yeah. And we don't think about it, but until somebody is says that, <laughs> and then we're like, I don't know, right. should we be nervous? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's the sort of, um, yeah. you know, the yeah. purity culture sort yeah. of decency, decency model thing. Sure, sure. How do you see what's worked for you playing out in the church for, again, a single woman in her 20s or a divorced man in his 40s mm. Um, mm. or people from sort of like different um, paths? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, I just I come back to some things I've observed over the years, I guess, and I've seen, um, you know, I've seen some hard conversations need to take place sometimes. Um, you know, there there are issues of like codependency or things like this that arise, or, um, or you know, like like you say, just needing to have some boundaries in place to safeguard, you know, marital sure. intimacy and fidelity. Uh, I think all that's important, and I've, you know, I've had. Um, I've had single friends who feel like they need to be able to verbalize too. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm hanging out with you guys a lot. And it's, it's actually kind of making me sad, you know, just seeing, seeing you guys as a couple mm -hmm. and the life mm -hmm. they have with each other. Um, so, so I, I definitely don't want to portray this as easy. Like, like I think, I think probably a lot of openness and discussion of boundaries is, is important when we talk about these kind of friendships. Um, but I, I have to say, you know, I've really, I've really seen just the whole, gamut of, of single people um, find their way into these kind of friendships. You know, I, I have a, I have a friend in, in the UK, she's um, 50, never been married, um, uh, straight. Mm -hmm. And, and she, she has very much sought out, you know, close relationships with married couples in the church and she's in their home a lot. Um, I've seen uh, there, there was an older woman in her, in her eighties, actually at a, a church I used to go to also never been married. Uh, straight as far as I know and she was she was known you know as as the aunt of the church you know just often babysitting often you know going on vacation with families um, so I, I really do think you know this 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 kind of more um, intimate more committed uh, I think that's another component I want to talk about is, is what does it look like to be committed in a friendship um, I, I've seen that play itself out across a lot of different demographics I definitely don't um, I don't think it's only for people who are in my shoes, you know, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, what, what you're asking about those, those issues of, of, of boundaries and how we, how we navigate all that. Um, it's probably a wisdom issue that's going to have to be hammered out in, in particular uh, conversations and, and, you know, maybe with some pastoral encouragement and help, but, um, but I, I, I wouldn't want to say out of fear, let's, let's not right. pursue it, you yeah. know? I wouldn't want to let the fear that something could go wrong keep us from pursuing this. Yeah, it's like the to Matt's point, sometimes I think you do have to be aware of boundaries, right? Like boundaries are healthy for everybody in yeah. <laughs> in every relationship. Yeah. In every relationship. Yeah. yeah. And but then you can I think sometimes you can overcook it a little bit with yeah, like right. uh I, I think as churches, you know, like the Billy Graham rule. Right. You know, and everything has become such a big deal. 
and I understand it and its premise. And and actually there there's part of how I live my life that kind of follows that, like in terms sure. of, you sure. know, d- just certain things. And sorry, let's not assume everybody. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Right. <laughs> so the Billy Graham rule would be how Billy Graham was never in a meeting alone, was never in a situation where he was with a woman alone. Right. Whether that was right. traveling or driving in a car to a meeting or um, or a meeting, right. uh, he wouldn't counsel anyone, you know, right. Um, right. People without someone else in the room or mm-hmm. something. And, and so I understand that in theory because you're trying to protect, he's coming at it from trying to protect his marriage. And so right. that is a right. very healthy thing to, to watch. Like when people kind of rail against it, I'm like, I mean, they're trying to <laughs> protect their marriage, yeah, right? Like that's yeah, a yeah. that's a good thing. However, that can go too far, I think, as well, mm. and can actually eliminate friendships and can right. eliminate healthy interactions. Can actually, yeah. you know, prevent women from, you know, being empowered in a workplace. Or there are yeah, different things yeah. that you've got to work yeah. with there. And so I, I get it, but I do think too, and this kind of goes back to the purity culture. I. I I would agree with what Matt's saying. I I think sometimes we over-sexualize relationships so much yeah, and over-sexualize yeah. intimacy, mm-hmm. even that word that right. we prevent ourselves from actually having good community. Yeah, I mean, even just saying, like Wes, you said earlier, to, for a man to say to another man, like, I want to be intimate with you, that's <laughs> some, that is literally in our culture is a synonym yeah. for I want to have sex with you. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, yeah. And how is the church, I think I wrote in my, my um, questions to you that I've been reading about the hi- the history of early Christians and how part of their persecution was that they were accused of being licentious, like being like, oh, those Christians, they I heard they eat flesh and like have orgies or whatever. And it was <laughs> right. because they were so close, like they were yeah. so right. close with one another. And we've gone from that to the Billy Graham rule, while I, I recognize the upside of the Billy Graham rule, but like we've gone from, from like being so close with one another yeah. that people are yeah. accusing us of X, Y, Z yeah. to uh, uh, being afraid to have a single person over to dinner because we don't want people to think that we're in a right. open marriage or right. whatever, yeah. you know, like, right. um, uh, it's funny because in my notes when you were talking about <laughs> Uh, like being friends with married people. I wrote open marriage. No, not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. No, I think, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is is um, what I call the myth of sex, which is that sex is somehow the secret truth of every, hmm. of every human interaction. Yeah. You know, that everything deep down is actually all about sex. And, you know, I mean, there's there, that goes back to, Sigmund Freud, and we could talk about all the cultural components of that. But it seems to me that Christians ought to resist that way of thinking. Like, like Jesus gives us a model of someone who is fully present. I mean, you, you can't read the Gospels and come away thinking this guy is holding himself back from, from intimate encounters with human beings. And yet he's celibate. You know, it's, it's not about sex. So I think, I think we ought to resist that myth that, that somehow deep down, you know, all of our interactions with each other are, are all about, are all about sex. I, I just don't think that's a Christian way of thinking about human beings or, or community. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember the first time it's probably the only time, cause I tend to be more liberal about things. Let's just like, if you haven't figured it out yet, um, Part of the dichotomy. It's part of the, part of the dynamic. Um, but I remember, I think the first and only time I ever got mad at somebody saying something was queer coded, because usually I'm down for like queer coding and like 
yeah. stuff. You know, I mean, I think that's cool. Um, was the, they they were like, well, yeah, Sam and Frodo, they're gay. And I was just like, no, they just love each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they just yeah, love yeah. each other. Like, there's nothing wrong if they were, but I just think they just yeah. love each other and it's not about right. sex. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like then starting to read, that's a great point that you made about Freud. And like there's some of these um, innate um, truths, quote unquote truths, that we as a Western culture, well, and I think like as a first world culture, accept, and we don't even know where they come from. They come from Carl yeah. Jung and they come from Sigmund Freud. And we don't even realize that we inherently accept yeah. them as gospel and then function yeah. as a society on them when they may not actually yeah. be true. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. We, we've, I mean, I've preached on this too. And Matt and I have talked about it on this podcast about, man, like we get the conversation around sexuality and stuff a lot, but like they're true people don't understand how much they've bought into this yeah. idea that every relationship has got to be sexual. Exactly. Y- you know? Yeah. And so, um, or that they can't be complete without it. And so I, I appreciate you bringing that, that part up when you talked about being committed, you know, just f- from a friendship, like outline what you feel like that looks like for someone like in relationship together. What is that for you? Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I think again, it comes out of my story. You know, I, I think that one of the really attractive things for me as a single person looking at my married friends, um, I mean, obviously there's there's a lot about marriage to to long for and to appreciate and 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 to want, you know. Uh, but one of the things that is so compelling to me is is that idea of a vow, you know, that you're that you're committing to someone for your whole life. Um and it was interesting to me that the more I started to think about it, I realized, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a modern person in my thinking about that because older generations of Christians would not have seen marriage as the only place to have a binding commitment Mm -hmm. with someone. Um, So like in my, in my Anglican tradition, um, we have a ceremony of godparenthood, you know, where, where uh, someone that the parents ask to be a godparent will come and stand with the parents when their child is getting baptized and the godparent promises to, you know, help raise this child in the Christian faith and like be part of the family. And that's a vow, you know, that's a promise you make. Yeah. And it's it's kind of sealed there, you know, in baptism. And um, it, it turns out in history, like a lot of people have taken these godparent vows very, very seriously. Like they're th- these these godparents become part of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the kind of thing that I became really interested in in exploring. And um you know, I've, I, I have some of these relationships. I actually here in Ambridge, I, I share a home with a married couple and they're, they're two kids and both of their kids are my godchildren. Um, they call me Uncle Wes. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, we, we view it. We don't know that we'll necessarily always live together, but we've lived <laughs> together for years now. And we, we view this as kind of a, a familial bond. You know, we, we have a, a binding relationship with each other. And, and I think for me as a single person, that that fills a, a really big ache in me, you know, that just that ache to know there are some people who've, who've not just said, we're going to hang with you as long as we like you, but, but who've said, we're, we're going to hang with you forever. Cause we, cause we're, we're bound to you, you know, we're committed to you. And um, I, I think that's what a lot of us who are single feel like we're really missing, you know, in the world. Um, so to, to sort of expand our imaginations and say, you know, marriage is a, is a wonderful binding commitment, but there, there may be other relationships, other, other ways you too can, can experience that, that sense of a, a binding relationship. Yeah. That's cool. 
Reminds me of like in middle school when I spit on my hand and shook hands with my friends. <laughs> was a bite. Was a and, bite. That's, and that's how we got the coronavirus. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I mean, I again, I think that shows like when we're younger, we're we're a lot freer. You're all in, in on it. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're naming these these hungers. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Um, going back, you know, you talked about just part of your story and commitment to celibacy and and being mm-hmm. single and everything. What would you say from that perspective and friendship and community and just the choice to be like, see that as a calling in your life? Like, what would be, uh, how would you encourage someone who's maybe wrestling with that? It doesn't matter if they're gay or straight, just like they're, yeah, yeah. That, that might be feeling that tension a little bit. What would be an encouragement that you would have for them? The, the tension specifically around being single. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think, I think what I would say first and foremost is we have to move away from thinking of singleness primarily in terms of lack, hmm. you know, um, and, and even, even the word single is a word I don't like very much. Cause it, it, it seems to, <laughs> it's like a, it's like a distancing word, you right. know? Yeah. Um, so I, I actually prefer, I know it's, I know it's, controversial because it has a lot of baggage but i prefer the word celibate because that's more about like a calling you know single single sounds to me like unattached like just kind of drifting in the world and and even you know like you you watch our sitcoms and single people are uh they're the people who get to do what they want at any time they want they're 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 (laughs) free they're they're unencumbered and and i just i'm just not sure that's a very christian way of thinking about what it means to be single you know you're Mm. you're defined by this kind of lack and you're defined by this ability to be whoever you want, do whatever you want. You know, it seems to me that when Christians have talked about singleness, they've talked about like, no, this is like a, a calling that you're embracing. This is a, a community that you're embracing. You know, most, most throughout most of history, Christian singles have, have committed themselves to doing it in a monastery or something right. like that, yeah. or a convent. And I think there's, I think there's wisdom in that, you know, that we have to, those of us who are pursuing a life of singleness have to think of it as I'm saying yes to something. I'm not just saying no to marriage or no to sex or no to having children. I'm saying yes to a particular way of serving God and loving others and like giving my life away in the world. So um, Karen Keene, you mentioned you've had Karen Keene on. I, yeah. I, I love I love what she wrote somewhere. I, I, I may have been on her old blog, but she said, I don't actually believe in modern singleness as a Christian. She said, mm-hmm. uh, find me a place in the Bible or, you know, in church history where anybody, any Christian has ever endorsed this idea of someone living alone, like eating alone, like being lonely, like that's not, that's not the Christian vision of singleness. So, so I guess I would say to someone, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're there, you know, if you're, if you're looking at a life of singleness for whatever reason, you know, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're widowed, maybe you're like me, maybe you're committing to celibacy because you think it's what God wants for you. I really hope we can view it as we are, we are signing up for something beautiful. Like mm. we're not, we're not just emptying ourselves of something uh, that, that we would like, but we're, we're actually committing to uh, a vocation of, of love, like a calling of, of love. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's I really, really like that. Um, <clears throat> one more question. What is it for you? So um, for you to live with um, the family that you live with and be part of that family, what is uh, 
boundaries look like for you as far as how do you do you guys like sit down and have like family meetings like how do you make it so that <laughs> it doesn't become like you're the roommate that doesn't do the dishes or they're the <laughs> couple you know yeah 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 i mean so we're all pe- people um people joke with us do you guys have like house rules you know and things mm-hmm. like this and we're we're all pretty informal so we don't really we kind of have um you know, an informal list of chores that different people do. But, um, but we do, we do try to, um, you know, we're, we're all leading pretty busy lives. Um, uh, so we, we, we try to prioritize evening meals together as often as we can. Mm-hmm. That probably happens, um, you know, five nights out of the week that we'll sit down together and, and have dinner together and talk about, you know, how our days have been. Um, so we have we have kind of those habits and routines in place and um you know i'll often help with bedtime you know like reading books to felicity uh before bed so um we've also found it helpful um so in in the anglican tradition we have what are called spiritual directors um you guys might call it i don't know mentor or something the the discipler um but my spiritual director is a is a clinical psychologist and his he kind of he kind of both functions as my counselor and my, and my, my spiritual director, my mentor, but he actually meets uh, with, with the three of us uh, periodically just to kind of check in and give us an opportunity to talk about anything that might be that we're finding it hard to talk about, you know, on our own. Um, And those times have been really helpful. I think just, you know, it's, it's allowed us to name things that aren't working so well, frustrations we might have hurts that we might have, and we can kind of move on from there. So I do think, you know, if you're, if you're pursuing something like this, it's probably, really important to have kind of that outside support and, and accountability and, you know, um, encouragement, um, from people who know you and can kind of see what's, what, what seems to be working, what's, what's not working so well. Um, yeah. That's cool. I have one more question. Do you have another question? I have one more question. So talking to you and we had David Bennett on the show talking to him who we can't say enough what a delight that dude was. He's um, great. He's great. <laughs> and, 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 and just like sort of engaging with some of the other um, sort of celibate um, folks who are involved in theology and church. And mm. it kind of seems like great. <laughs> like, you know, it seems perfect. Like it makes me feel yeah. like why get, why would anybody get married? And Paul, <laughs> and, and we struggle with like this sort of view of Paul on marriage is like, well, I guess if you can't help yourself, right, yeah. you know, go, you know, if you can't yeah, keep yeah. it in your pants, go get married, yeah, which we know yeah. that's not what he means, but that's definitely sort of the way sure. it's translated. And then of course, Jesus calls back to Genesis um, yeah. and, and talks about it in a different way. But um, I guess my question is if it works so well and it's so great on the flip side, why would anyone be called to be married? Like what, what do you see as a celibate person who will not get married? Like, but, but also is, is deeply involved with somebody else's marriage. Like what is your view on what are the, what, what are the reasons to get married? Why, why does marriage work? Why would somebody be called to marriage in the same way you were called away from it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd say, yeah, celibacy is, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be um, misunderstood to saying it's all roses all the time. Like, <laughs> I'm it's, sure it's not. <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, you know, it, it, so my friend, Steve Holmes, who, who David Bennett also knows, mm-hmm. um, uh, he's a theologian in the UK. Um, he, uh, he says that, you know, when you read the new Testament, it's actually celibacy that makes immediate and obvious theological sense. Hmm. Because if Jesus, if Jesus has defeated death, 
And, you know, we, we, we know that we're not going to be married in the, in the new creation. Um, then, you know, you can, you can, the, the surest way to kind of point to that is to say, well, I'm not going to invest in this, in this earthly order of things. I'm not going to get married and have children. I don't, I don't need to worry about my future because death has been defeated. The resurrection has happened already. And I'm just going to live the life of heaven right now. Um, so in a certain way, I mean, it, it sounds totally backwards to us in a certain way. It's, it's celibacy that's, that's intuitive and obvious and it's marriage that needs some, some explaining, you know, mm -hmm. and I think, I think what you, I think what you find, um, you know, as you read a, te a text like Ephesians chapter five, you know, where, where Paul's talking about marriage is marriage still can be a pointer to our, our destiny, you know, our, our risen life, because what, what we're heading towards is the marriage of, of Christ and the, ch and the church. And so, so marriage can be part of our discipleship in that sense. Like it can be a pointer, just like celibacy is a pointer to what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do in the future. And so I really, I really think the church needs both marriage and celibacy together, like to together to point to uh, the future kingdom of God. You know, marriage, marriage points us to that, that union of Christ with the church, that, that great marriage supper of the lamb and singleness points to the fact that we will all together be the bride of Christ. Like we won't have the earthly marriage as we know it now anymore. You know, we all will be, uh, in a sense, married to, to Christ as our, as our bridegroom. Um, so, yeah, I just think, um, I, I think it's really important to say these are, these are reinforcing, these are complementary callings that they, they shouldn't be viewed as one is greater than the other. One is, one is, uh, you know, better than the other. Uh, the church needs both. Um, the church needs both to, to, to bear witness to this, to this great salvation, you know, that we have in, in Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I might make one more point too. Um, and I get this from my friend, Chris Roberts. Um, he points out that when you have celibate people uh, willingly living their lives without sex and marriage, that is a powerful reminder to everybody in the church, especially married people, that marriage is a gift. It's mm. not something that you have to have. It's not like a necessity to be fully alive and fully human. And the fact that you can point to these people here in the church who are living without it, that's a powerful way of, of reminding married people that, you know, what, what I have is my calling from God. It's not something I can demand from God. It's not something that God owed me. It's, it's a gift. It's, it's my way of, of trying to, you know, show the world what, what Jesus looks like uh, in my sphere. So so yeah, I just, I would want to put in a plug for these are, these are, we need both. Uh, we need both of these callings to exist in the church. That's really good. The, the verse about when you mentioned that um, it won't be like kind of how we see marriage now, it won't be like that in heaven. That's always my wife Lacey's least favorite comment on heaven. Yeah. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, I am down with everything else. That one's like the hardest one. I was like, don't worry about it. Like, I'll shoot you like a special wink or something like we, like we knew each other. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So. Oh, too funny. Um, John, can we just be Anglican? <laughs> we might. I just, it's just consider it. You don't have to answer. Well, right it's now. so funny because we're not a denominational church, but we, yeah. Matt and I, like, like, or we've had this conversation before about Anglican stuff and we're like, man, we really resonate a lot there. And then my wife and I, this is probably two months ago. Um, we're sitting there talking about stuff, and we, we both go, "Are we in a Baptist?" <laughs> like, we're just like, cause we're just, like, so we're just like, anyway. Um, 
Well, on that note, Wes, thank you so, so much for making time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. All right. Awesome. awesome. Is there anything you want to plug? I know you have Revoice coming up. Anything else you want to tell people out yeah, there is going on? Yeah. So the, the, the third annual Revoice conference is, is coming up in July. Um, Revoice.us is the, is the website. Um, I think it's going to be a place where people like me, you know, who are, who are pursuing this kind of costly discipleship can, can meet and find fellowship. Um, and you guys have mentioned my book, Spiritual Friendship. I, I, I go into a lot more depth uh, in that book on some of the stuff we've talked about. Um, so, yeah. Thanks again for having me. Awesome. Thanks yeah. so much, Wes. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. Um, if you have questions, comments, concerns, quips, quotes, uh, you can send them to staycurious at hillcityrva.com. Go ahead and follow us on social media. It's Stay Curious Pod on Instagram and Stay Curious Cast on the bad website, Twitter. And um, we hope to uh, see you all next time. Make sure to share and rate. And also make sure to stay curious.